Listen to this story. An elderly man on the beach found a magic lamp. He picked it up and a genie appeared. Because you have freed me, the genie said, I will grant you a wish. The man thought for a moment and then responded, my brother and I had a fight about 30 years ago and he hasn't spoken to me since. I wish that he would finally forgive me. There was a thunderclap and then the genie said, your wish has been granted. You know, the genie continued, most men would have asked for wealth or fame, but you only wanted the forgiveness of your brother. Is that because you are old and dying? The man said, no, but my brother is, and he's worth about 60 million bucks. <laughs> Today we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer, and we're getting to this phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Let me put it on the screen here. This is from Matthew chapter 6, and the phrase is this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I was sharing at first service that I read a, a sermon by John Ortberg on this verse. In fact, it was a series of messages on the Lord's Prayer. And I wanted to give him credit because he has these really practical insights into what this phrase really means in our lives. And he started his message with a question that I want us to consider today, and it's simply this, what does it mean to have a debtor? What does it mean to have a debtor? Now, of course, a good place to start is with the world of finance. Let me ask you this question. When you incur a debt, who has to pay it off? Yeah, we all know this. If you incur a debt, you have to pay it off. And there's a very simple rule in the debt business. You owe, you pay. Now, this morning, you might have a credit card debt, you might have an auto loan debt, you might have a home mortgage debt, but whatever that debt is, you are responsible for paying it off. And we all know this. You, you've seen the bumper sticker, I owe, I owe, so off to work, I go. And just to prove this principle, imagine going to your mortgage company and saying, look, I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you about my current financial uh, situation because it's, not, it's just not working for me. I, I have to work too many hours. I don't get to play as much golf as I would like. My wife is depressed because we can't take a vacation, so we have decided we're not going to pay you back the money we owe. Now, what kind of response do you think you get from your mortgage company? Yeah, probably a certified letter that says, you owe, you pay, because that's how it works in the world of debt. And of course, in some situations, if you don't pay, you get a visit from this guy in a dark suit. His name might be Guido, um, because he lives by the principle, you owe, you pay. In fact, we have a word for these people that loan money and charge exorbitant interest and are very serious about paying it back on time. We call them loan what? Sharks, yeah. You don't call Guido the loan bunny, right? Because he's really serious about getting his money back. Now take a close look at this phrase in the Lord's Prayer again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven who? Our debtors. See, you are a debtor, but you also have people who are in debt to you. And when you pray this portion of the Lord's Prayer, you're saying, God, forgive me for my sins as I forgive the people who have sinned against me. How many of you have ever had somebody sin against you? Yeah, every single one of us have. I mean, it's an occupational hazard of being a human being. And it could have been in so many different ways. Maybe you're a, a business person and somebody cheated you in the world of business or didn't follow through on a promise. Maybe somebody gossiped about you behind your back and damaged your reputation. Maybe somebody in your family in anger said something that really hurt your heart. Or maybe it was the, the broken promise of a spouse. 
You see, the fact is that we've all sinned and we've all had people sin against us. And this reality brings us to a critical crossroad in our spiritual life. What do we do with our debtors? Well, the answer to that question really hinges on one word in the Lord's Prayer. Check out this phrase again. Forgive us our debts. Do you see that next word? As, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, one time, one of Jesus' disciples came to him and was asking about this topic of forgiveness. It was Peter. And I'd like to read this story because it's, it's a brief story that Jesus told. In fact, many times when the disciples asked Jesus a question, how did he respond? He told them a story. Now, this is a remarkable story about forgiveness. And I want to read the whole thing, and then we're going to walk through it. Are you ready? If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, by the way, it's in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. And it goes like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you have to understand that most of the rabbis would tell you you only had to forgive somebody three times, and then they were out of forgiveness. And so Peter's being really generous. He's saying, Lord, up to seven times? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or seven times 70, as some translations say. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, we know how debt works in the, in the world, right? Jesus is talking about a new principle that operates in the kingdom of God. And that's why he tells the story. He says, there was a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, one translation says 10,000 talents, and we're going to talk about how much money that is, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, which was a common practice at that time. Verse 26, At this a servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Notice exactly the same words. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Those are some really sobering and powerful words. And Jesus is getting to the heart of this question. Well, why should I forgive these people who have hurt me? And what's the answer? Because God is willing to forgive you. In fact, that's the first point on your outline this morning. We should forgive because God is willing to forgive us. Look at this verse from Ephesians. It says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, and notice this, just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
Now, this story that Jesus told is very dramatic. If you look at it as a play, there's three acts. So what I want to do is walk through each act. So we're going to start with act one because at the beginning of the story, there is a king at center stage and he's starting to settle these accounts and he notices when he's reviewing the books that there's this one guy that owes him a tremendous amount of money. Now, Jesus says that it's 10,000 talents. How much money is that? Well, Jesus could have said it this way. It was a gazillion dollars. Because he's using hyperbole. Let me put it into terms that it will help us understand just how enormous this debt was. The collective taxes um, on Judea and Samaria on an annual basis came to about 600 talents. How much is his debt? How many? 10,000. Or, or this is another comparison. If you were a day laborer and you worked every day, do you know how long it would take you to earn one talent? Just one talent. 20 years. That's how much money it was. This guy owes 10,000 talents. This is an enormous debt. And as Jesus is telling this story, certainly Peter is listening because he asked the question, but I suspect the other disciples are there too. And there are certain things that would really strike them. Number one is the, the patience and the generosity of this king. I mean, who would let somebody run up a debt like that and not just call it in? The second thing that would strike them is that this servant Man, this guy's really foolish because who would run up a bill the size of the national debt and not have a way to repay it? And I think there's a third thing that would strike the people who heard the story, and it has to do with the king. He's not just patient. He's not just kind. He's just because he's not going to adjust the books. He's not going to cook the books. Somebody has to pay this debt. And here's an interesting thought as well. This story is only found in Matthew's gospel. Now, in the New Testament, there are four Gospels, four stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think the reason we only find it in Matthew is because of what Matthew did for a living before he decided to follow Jesus. Do you recall what he did? He was a tax collector. He knew all about collecting bad debts. He probably heard every excuse in the book why people can't pay their taxes. And he also knew this, what happens when you don't pay. And so when Jesus gets to that part of the story, and he says, well, the king said, sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell everything, throw him in jail. Matthew wasn't surprised because that's what you did. In fact, during that time in history, and of course later in history it happened as well, when you had a debt you couldn't pay, you went to prison. And there were two reasons. One, so you couldn't skip town. Just a practical reason. And the other was this, to create pressure on your family members to pay up so that you would be set free. But what's the problem in this story? This guy's debt is so big that he'll never, ever get out of jail, and neither will his family. I mean, this guy is in a hopeless situation. But then there's this incredible twist on the story, because just as this guy's getting hauled away to jail, he throws up a Hail Mary, and he says to the, to the king, listen, be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything I owe you. Now, what's wrong with that statement? He can't possibly do that. I mean, it'd be like trying to empty Lake Okeechobee with a teaspoon. His debt is just enormous. Now, what's interesting is that the people who listened to this were thinking, well, we know what the king's going to do because we know the way the world works. You owe you what? You pay. I mean, buddy, you should have known better. Tough luck. Hope you like prison food. So they must have been shocked at this turn in the story, because in verse 27, Jesus says, the, mas the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now just imagine this. Here's, this. here's this king. 
And here's this desperate man kneeling before him, this guy who has just really messed up his life. And instead of feeling contempt for this man, the king feels compassion. And he says, hey, get up, get up. You're not going to jail. I'm going to let you go. And can you imagine the relief this man must have felt? And then the king said this, by the way, your debt is canceled. Now you think about that. This is an unbelievable debt. And it doesn't just disappear. Somebody has to pay. Who's going to pay? King's going to pay. The king is going to pay the debt that this man owes. And in this story, we see a new principle. Jesus is saying, look, this is how things work in the world. You owe, you pay. But this is the way things work in the kingdom of God. It's a principle that God himself establishes. You owe, I'll pay. And imagine this. I mean, as, as the story unfolds, as this guy has been released and he, and he goes home, can you imagine walking up to your house and realizing, hey, I'm not going to lose my home? And hugging your wife and kids and realizing, that, hey, we're not going to jail for the rest of our lives. The king has given me my life back. And there's only one reason. It's not because of me. It's not because of anything I've done or could do. It's because of his grace. And friends, I believe that when Jesus gets to this point in the story, he wants the disciples to see themselves. And I'm convinced he wants us to see ourselves in the story because that servant who is in debt up to his eyeballs, that servant is you. And that servant is me. And just to personalize this, take a look at your Bible study outline. I've got this theoretical financial statement. It's from Celestial Citibank. Personal account statement, and if you want to, you can fill your name in there. But the amount due, well, it's a gazillion dollars. It's a whole lot of money. And this is just the idea that we all have this incredible moral debt before God. God says, listen, I want you to love me with all of your heart and mind and strength and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And who does that perfectly? Nobody. We all fall short. And I want you to think about this. How many times a day do you think you sin? I'm not going to even ask you to pick a number. But it's be a whole lot, right? Because here's the thing. Can you sin by what you think? Can you sin by the words that you say? Can you sin by the things that you do? Can you sin by the things that you don't do? I mean, there's all these opportunities to sin, right? So let's say that you're a really good person. You know, maybe Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, I don't know, just somebody who just doesn't sin a lot. And you only sin three times a day. Approximately how many sins is that over the course of a year? Just ballpark. Yeah, a thousand. And if you live 70,000 years, how many sins have you accumulated? Whew. 70,000 sins, that's a lot of sin. Now, here's, here's something else. If you look at your, your statement here, here's the next thing that I want you to see. Terms of payment. Due on demand. Do you realize that the king can call you into his presence at any time and demand payment? That's what happens in the story. This guy's just going about his life and the king says, nope, today you're going to settle up with me. That can happen for us as well. Now, that being the case, what would be your method of payment? Because there are really only two options. Number one is self-pay, and in parenthesis, the perpetual payment plan. Because when you think about it, the Bible says this in Romans 3.23, their wages of sin is what? Death. 
What we deserve for our disobedience is to die and to be separated from God forever. And that's because God is holy and just. But there is another way. And what is the other way? Accept payment made on my behalf. And that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ comes to our world. Second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man, lives a perfect life and that uniquely qualifies him to offer his life as payment for our life. And that's what happens on the cross. God is willing to put our sins on Jesus, to punish him in our place, and Jesus dies the death we deserve. And then Jesus is raised to life. And I want you to notice this, the last thing on your statement. What is your account status? Is it paid in full? Because if you're a Christian this morning, you realize that your account is paid in full. That Jesus died for every sin. And I remember very clearly the day that I took Jesus up on his offer when he said, Dudley, you owe. I'll pay. And I said, okay, Lord. I'm, I'm overwhelmed that you would do that. I, you know everything I've ever done wrong. And I believe that you died not just for this theoretical sins of the world, but you died for my specific sins in my place because you love me. And I believe that your father accepted that payment and raised you to life. And Jesus, I desperately need your forgiveness. I desperately need a new life. And if you're a Christian, that's your account status. Your past has been entirely settled. That's what we're singing about every single Sunday. That's what we were celebrating this morning. But if you've never made that decision, do you see you're standing before God? Your payment is still pending. Now that's the end of Act 1. Let's go to Act 2. Because in Act 2, this guy who's been forgiven so much goes out and he finds another servant who owes him, well, comparatively little. Um, some of your Bibles say that this guy was owed 100 denarii. A denarius was how much money you get paid for, for one day's work. And this time, he's the one who's owed money. And his fellow servant says to him exactly what he said to the king. It says, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now, the people who were listening to the story were thinking, well, you know, this guy has been forgiven so much by the king, certainly he's going to forgive this guy. Certainly he's going to honor the king and, and how gracious the king has been to him. But to their surprise, that's not what happens. The man who's received all this compassion treats his fellow debtor with contempt. This is what Jesus said. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And notice this. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. One translation that we read this morning says they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Now let me leave that on the screen just for a minute because I want you to think about this. When you see unforgiveness in your heart, when you see unforgiveness in the hearts of other people, does it greatly distress you? Or do you just get used to it over time? Because I think a lot of us can slip into that mentality. And notice what they do. They're not only greatly distressed, they go and tell their master everything. When you see unforgiveness in your own heart or in somebody else's heart, do you talk to God about it? And say, God, what do you want me to do? What can we do to bring about forgiveness in this situation? Friends, we know this. The world's a tough place. There's not a whole lot of grace out there. 
And that's why God's family, the church, should be so different. This should be a place where there is an ocean of grace. This should be a place where God's forgiveness flows freely. Because that's what God desires. And in the kingdom of God, this is what Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of God, an unforgiving heart is both unthinkable and completely unacceptable. And then we get to Act 3. Servant whose debt has been canceled gets brought back before the king. But this time it's a whole new ball game. There's no pleading. There's no promises. No more tears. The king gets straight to the point and he says this, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then check out this verse. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is just the most sobering statement of Jesus Christ. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless, unless you forgive one another from your heart. Forgiveness is a really big deal to God. And it should really be a big deal to us. And in this story, Jesus gives us an enormous reason that we should be willing to forgive the people who have hurt us. And it's simply this, because God has forgiven us so much. And I know this, I will never have to forgive another human being more than God's forgiven me. But there's another really compelling reason that we should forgive, and it's on your outline there, because forgiveness brings freedom. It really does. It brings freedom. Think about this. Where does the servant who refused to forgive end up? Where does he end up at the end of the story? He's in prison. He's in jail. You know where we end up when we refuse to forgive? In prison. A prison of unresolved anger and bitterness and resentment. Look at this verse. It's from the book of Hebrews. It says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See, you've been given all this grace, and God wants you to give that grace to others. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That bitter root of unforgiveness. Well, we've looked at the question, why should I forgive? And of course, two really good reasons, because God's willing to forgive you, because forgiveness brings freedom. But the question is, how do I really do this? Because it's hard. How many of you would say that forgiveness is really, really hard? You know, I think it's one of the most difficult things that God commands us to do. So how does it work? What's the process? And we could spend a long time on this. I want to walk you through this very briefly. And here's where it starts. Admit that you've been hurt. Admit that you've been hurt. You know, sometimes we're hurt by other people, and we try to convince ourselves that it's not that bad. You know, we say things like, well, they couldn't help it, or they didn't really mean it. Or sometimes we even do this. We blame ourselves for the things that other people have done to us. And, and we say, well, you know, it's my fault I got hurt. I should have known better. The first step in this process of forgiveness is to say, you know what? What this person did was wrong, and it really hurt me. And there's a beautiful story about this. It's from the Old Testament. It's the story of Joseph. It's in the book of Genesis. Joseph is sold into slavery by his, by his brothers, and he rises to this position of prominence in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. And one day he meets his brothers and this is what he says to them. He says, you intended to harm me. Notice he doesn't say, you know, we were young at the time. We were just teenagers and you guys didn't know what you were doing. So let's just let bygones be bygones. He says, no, you intended to harm me, but God, God overruled what you did. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And if you know the story, Joseph 
is now like the prime minister of Egypt and he's collected all this grain and all these people are you know, avoiding starvation during this time of famine. And there is a, a principle here that is so powerful and I want you to listen carefully because I know that some of you have got some, some deep hurts in your heart from things that have happened to you. Remember this, that God can use the hurt that you've experienced at the hands of others to accomplish something good in your life. God can use the hurt that you've experienced at the hands of others to accomplish something good in your life because he's God. And that's what the story of Joseph teaches us. Well, here's another step in the process of forgiveness. Number two, this is on your outline. Be honest about your emotions <clears throat> and express them appropriately. Be honest about your emotions, express them appropriately. What is one of the primary emotions we experience when somebody hurts us, does us wrong, sins against us? Starts with the letter A. Anger. Man, I don't get mad. I just get what? Is that, is that true? <laughs> Why do you want to get even? Because you're angry. It's a normal response. And here's the deal. Well, let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever get angry? Yes, he did. So is anger always wrong? No. There is a righteous anger and there is an unrighteous anger. And there is an important way to process our anger so that we don't end up sinning ourselves. In fact, look at this verse. This is from the book of, of Ephesians. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So you can be angry and not step across that line of sin. It says this, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. This is talking about the fact that, you know, if you've got an issue with somebody, it's, go, it's good to go and try to work that out. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. But friends, that's not always possible. But this is possible, to talk to God about your anger. And we see that in the book of Psalms again and again, where the psalmist would just pour out his heart and say, God, I'm so, I'm so mad, I'm so ticked off, I'm so angry, and here's why. Listen, God wants us to be honest with him. And that's a very important way to begin to process our anger. Now here's another step in the forgiveness process. Number one, number three, choose to cancel the debt owed by others. Forgiveness is a choice and a process. You choose as an act of your will to forgive, and you have to work through the emotions over time. But let me just point out very quickly what forgiveness is not. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you're going to immediately trust them. That takes time to rebuild trust. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you give up the right to justice or restitution. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you condone their wrong behavior. And listen carefully. When you forgive somebody, it does not mean that your heart's going to heal quickly. Because forgiveness is a journey. And the deeper the pain, the longer the journey. Take a look at this Bible verse from Colossians. It says this, Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive. And there's that word again. As the Lord forgave you. And finally, the process of forgiveness means that you do this. Seek reconciliation where possible. Seek reconciliation where it is possible. And reconciliation is a two-way street, but God wants us to seek it. Look at this verse from Ephesians. It says this, as parts of the same body, this is a reference to the church family, our anger against each other has disappeared. For both of us have been reconciled to God. And so the feud ended at last. Where? at the cross. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? At the cross, at the cross. This 
blood of Jesus Christ ran red and at the cross our sins were washed white. Because we've been reconciled to God, we can now be reconciled to each other. And I read a remarkable story about reconciliation. It was written by a man, his name is Walter Wink. Let me just share it briefly. It's about a couple, their, their last name was Grossmeyer, and they were on this peacekeeping mission. They were trying to bring together two groups of Jews, one who was Polish and the other were German. And so they went to these Polish Jews and said, look, would you be willing to meet with these Christians from West Germany? Because both groups have now become followers of Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to meet with some Christians from West Germany because they want to ask for forgiveness for what Germany did during the war and begin a new relationship? Would you meet with them? And so this group of, of Polish Christians said, no. One of them said this, what you ask is impossible. Every stone of Warsaw is soaked with Polish blood that they spilled. We cannot forgive. Now this couple, the Grossmeyers, they understood the intensity of these emotions. And they said, well, listen, before we leave, can we just, can we do this? Can we say the Lord's Prayer together? This prayer that we've been studying for the last several weeks. And so these, these Polish Christians, they got on their knees, and they started to pray this prayer that Christians have been praying for 2,000 years, and they started out, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And they got to that phrase, forgive us our debts. And they stopped, all of them. There was complete silence until the one man who said, it is impossible to forgive, said, we must forgive. Because if we don't, we can no longer pray this prayer. We must forgive or we can no longer call ourselves Christians. And he said, it's going to be really, really hard. But with God's help, we can do it. And the end of that story is that this group of Polish Christians and German Christians got together in Vienna and established a friendship that lasts to this very day. And when I read that story, I thought, you know, looking back over the sweep of history, looking back over the last 2,000 years, since Jesus taught us how to pray, how many marriages could have been saved? How many friendships could have been restored? How many church splits could have been avoided if people were willing to forgive? If we would take these words about forgiveness as seriously as God does. Church, I want to do something as we wrap the, uh, the message up because the objective here is not just to learn things with our heads but to experience them with our hearts so they change our lives. So I want us to do this. I'm going to put the words to the Lord's Prayer up in just a minute. We're going to start praying the prayer and when we get to that phrase, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, I want us to stop, and I want you to do two things. First, think about how much God has forgiven you, and then ask God to bring to mind anybody you need to forgive, including yourself. So are you ready? Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Just want to invite you to bow your heads right now. And I want you to do this. I want you to thank God for his forgiveness, for his grace, for his mercy in your life.
And right now, with our heads bowed, I want you to ask God to bring to mind anybody that you need to forgive. Maybe this morning, you have some really deep hurt in your heart, and maybe you've been holding on to it for a long time. Today, you can let it go. Today, you can choose to focus on the healer rather than on your hurt. And you can remember that God is willing to forgive you and that he wants you to be willing to forgive others. And friends, listen, I understand it's hard, but ask God to help you right now. Say, Father, help me forgive others. Help me to forgive this person who's hurt me so badly, who's hurt my family, who's caused so much damage. God, help me to forgive this person the way that you have forgiven me. And this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've never asked God to forgive you, you can do that right now. You can just say this in your heart. God, man, I just want to confess that I have a huge debt I can't pay. I have sinned against you and others. And I know that my only hope is to accept the payment that Jesus made for my sin. And so, God, today, as best as I know how, I want to accept the payment that Jesus made for me on the cross. I want to follow him. And God, I want to thank you so much for allowing your son to die and come to life so that I could be forgiven and have a new life. And Father, this morning, I pray this for every single one of us. Help us to, to cultivate a heart like yours so that our families and our church will be a place of grace and healing and forgiveness, a place where the kingdom of God is clearly seen and demonstrated. For we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, church, I want to do something real quickly um, before our last song. It's called um, East from the West. That's part of the title, if not the whole title. And I was thinking about the Bible verse that it's based on where it says that as far as the East is from the West, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. Because that's a really intriguing concept um, I just grabbed this out of my office, but think about this. If you're traveling, let's say you're in Florida. Here's Florida, right here, and we're going north. Um, how far north can you go? What's the extreme limit of going north? The North Pole, okay? And if you keep going, what direction will you now be traveling? South. However, let's say that you're in Colombia, South America, right here, and you decide you're going to go east. At what point will you begin traveling west? At what point will you begin traveling west if you're going east? Never, ever. If you start going west, at what point will you then be traveling east? Never. And God says, hey, wrap your mind around this. As far as the east is from the west, I have taken your sins away. Let's stand and sing and praise God together.